Because of foreign wars we wage More to do with the colors blue and red Many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've gotta be free broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Rome County, Tennessee. Glad to see a few folks already in the chat room. We got the crazy Cajun CC hanging out with us, uh, just uh, having a blast and conversating and being part of the group with us here tonight. We've got Chief host of Simple Facts of Life, a great program in its own right that you can find at blogtalkradio.com if you're so inclined. And I highly recommend you check it out. You can go to blogtalkradio.com. When you land on that homepage, you will see a search bar at the top. You can put in QMCUSN or maybe you might just want to go ahead and put in Simple Facts of Life, depending on how you want to do it. Now, scroll down a little bit. You'll find the show. Well worth your time. And you can join him live on Tuesday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. You, of course, can adjust to your time zone accordingly. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's jump right into things, shall we? It's Friday. Uh, got uh, all kinds of exciting things going on for the weekend. Mm, personally, I'm just trying to have a quiet weekend myself. We'll see what happens. In the meanwhile, let's kind of jump right on into. Uh, First story on the slate, shall we? Titled the show, Trespassing on Your Own Property. And uh, that has, to, of course, a lot to do with the New York story. Uh, as you may or may not know by this point, the New York bar owner, 
goes by the name of Danny. Well, he was arrested this past Tuesday for criminal trespassing. Where was he trespassing, you might ask, if you've been living under a rock and not familiar with the story? Well, he was at his own establishment after he refused to comply with arbitrary lockdown orders from the governor, Andrew Cuomo, America's superhero, if you believe the legacy media. A model of leadership, if you believe the legacy media. Uh, the man who has a humongous nose, if you believe his brother on CNN. Uh, that one might actually be true. Might be the truest thing that uh, Chris Cuomo has said in his entire career as a political commentator, because he's certainly not a journalist. Anyway, again, just backstory in case you're not familiar. Cuomo had declared Max Public House to be in the so-called orange zone. And as you all know, when it comes to the leftists and Democrats across the country, anything orange is bad. So by virtue of being in the orange zone, it was therefore mandated that uh, both owners of Max Public House had to close down their tavern. And of course, there's no compensation going on here. Uh, New York is just making these unfunded mandates, if you will, in this case for individual citizens who are simply trying to, you know, eke out a living. No small thing to attempt in a place like New York. Well, according to the reporting uh, that was ongoing, the business owners were serving food and beverages, but they weren't charging patrons any money. Basically, they had a bunch of stuff that was going to go bad anyway, so they were trying to find a positive way to keep it all from going to waste while choosing to still be thankful for the people who'd supported them in the past. That's kind of what was going on here, and it was kind of a thumb in the eye to the mandate, but uh, apparently – this did not sufficiently slide around the rules of Cuomo's order. Uh, quote, although it was given away for free to patrons, the law does not permit service during the pandemic, per Governor Andrew Cuomo's mandate. This, again, from reporting on scene. Now, the main owner who was there and doing this, well, he was taken away in handcuffs. Numerous police officers stayed outside the tavern to block the efforts. They literally put the building on lockdown. A crowd of supporters quickly formed outside of Max, including State Senator Andrew Lanza. Now, the Republican representative repeatedly asked the officers on scene, why was this man being arrested? Noting that the order only states that the business owners must cease and desist. Quoting here uh, again from the reports on the ground, this order simply says that they need to cease and desist. This is what Lanza had told the officers. Nowhere, nowhere here is there an arrest warrant. Meaning a cease and desist order is not the same thing as taking someone into custody. You don't get to just take someone into custody for not following said cease and desist order, especially when they were technically uh, no longer in the business of conducting business. Uh, 
So again, the state representative, Lanza, says that there is not an arrest warrant here. Nowhere here is there anything about arresting anyone on their private property. So I'll ask, and of course you don't have to answer, why was he arrested? I was told you would tell me why he was arrested, and now I'm asking for that answer. Now I'm wondering why you said I'll ask and you don't have to answer. Uh, and then turn around and say that I was told you would answer that. That seems like kind of an odd thing to say. Now, maybe he was just caught up in the heat of the moment. Maybe he was worked up to the point that the emotions were overruling the the rationale part of the mind. I don't know. Obviously, the officers on site refused to respond. They knew that there was nothing much that they could say or do in that situation. They were kind of the ones in a no-win situation. It was either – Follow their mandates, what they've been told to do, or seek gainful employment elsewhere kind of situation. I do think that when it comes to something as blatantly unconstitutional as something like this, I would much prefer these officers uh, stand on the principle of doing what's best for the community and honor an oath that they take to uphold the law and the Constitution and uh, you know, understand that a governor's edict… Or a mayor's edict is not the same thing as the law. Simply not. So if it comes down to a choice between following an unlawful order or giving up your job, I wish they would give up their job, but I'm not going to pretend like it's not an easy choice. You know, it's not I'm not gonna pretend like it's not a hard choice, is what I should say. Anyway, back to quoting Alanza. So I see that you have the power to arrest people who are sitting in their own establishment on private property. Stick around. Here on Staten Island, we like law and order. But what I just saw here, it really deserves an explanation because it really confounds all of us here. I can tell you as an attorney… This piece of paper did not authorize what you did here. At some point, somebody's going to have to answer for what happened here because this is wrong. Now, a little while after that, the attorney for the gentleman who was taken into custody, he showed up, and he told the crowd of supporters that his client is, quote, on his way to the sheriff's office right now. Where they assured me they're going to issue him a desk appearance ticket and release him for criminal trespass because he wouldn't leave his own establishment. Continued saying, from what I understand, my client was arrested because he didn't want to leave his business, and at that point, they considered it trespassing. I'd like to know to I would like to know why his attorney got three summonses for just being there and being peaceful and respectful and calm, and everyone of these officers can attest to that. So what he's saying is that he also was given summonses. You see, the attorney was inside Max when the officers handled out these summonses. The attorney said that he received a summons himself for $5,000 because he was apparently deemed 
to be an employee of the business when the sheriffs were on scene. Back to quoting. This is from Mark Fanton, another attorney representing the business. Quote, we urge our friends in the restaurant industry to be as resilient as possible while we appeal this decision. Now, I'm not going to go into any more because there's more personal attacks towards the uh, police officers involved. And again, I don't want to get involved in cop bashing. I, I do find it hurtful physically. It causes me discomfort to think about police officers, whether they're uh, municipal officers or representatives of a sheriff's department, to think that these people are actively engaging in what they know to be illicit activities. Ultimately, I would like to think that this is something that's going to get thrown out when it goes to court. Uh, presumably, if you're willing to stand up and tell the governor to come shut you down himself if he wants to, uh, presumably you're going to have the cojones uh, to go ahead and take it to court and fight. And I would like to think that all this gets straightened out in court. Cuomo's already got one smack across the face in regarding to his edicts regarding uh, several Jewish uh, folks and their efforts to be involved with their the open practice of their religion. For whatever reason, Cuomo uh, – yeah, I, I don't want to make a generalized statement here, and I don't want to assign something to Cuomo that may not be true. But one could easily make the assumption that he might be just a little anti-Semitic based on the fact that he doesn't seem to be attacking any other groups other than these large Jewish gatherings. I mean it's happened enough to this point that it would raise an eyebrow. I would be willing to ask the question, and if somebody told me, yeah, I've known him for years, and uh, yeah, he's definitely – I would be inclined to believe that statement at this point. It certainly appears like he's got some kind of grudge. Now, maybe it's a political grudge and has nothing to do with anti-Semitism, but he blames uh, some type of political issue he's had in the past. I, I don't know. That doesn't make it any better, by the way. I'm just saying it may not be anti-Semitism. It could be just some petty personal grudge. But the point of the matter is, is when you overstep the confines of what is legally permitted in this country, then you've crossed a line. And I've been saying quite a bit recently that there are a lot of current office holders who are going to be reminded very soon that in America… We are governed by the consent of the governed. We let them do so much, and then we decide when enough is enough. They don't control. We do. They're about to be reminded about that. And uh, I see New Orleans Wake Up has joined us in the chat room, and he just commented, Tim, just wear the mask. The, the issue isn't about a mask. The issue that uh, Cuomo has been doing here is uh, just about control. Look, this, this particular uh, location, this bar, uh, they've been engaging in all of the protocols that have been established 
but they're still being told that they have to shut down because they're in an orange zone. So it's not about a mask, and it's never been about a mask. Maybe you're out there just enough, sir, that you're buying into the BS. But at the end of the day, it's never been about a mask. It's always, always been about control. And it's becoming more and more obvious. I mean you can look at uh, something as simple as Nancy Pelosi. Now she's all about passing a new stimulus bill, a new COVID relief bill. She's all about – even though the money's much less, she was ready to fight tooth and nail because it just wasn't enough before when Donald Trump was looking very much like possibly extending into a second term. So it was all about going into the election cycle, trying to convince enough people to believe that it's not actually her holding up the relief, that it's her fighting against the evil orange man who's bad to try to get more. And now she's all about, yeah, well, it doesn't matter how much it is because Biden, if that doesn't demonstrate the level of partisan politics and the absurdity of the level of hypocrisy that these people are operating from, then I can't help you, and you got no business hanging out in this chat room. Because if you just came to stir the pot, brother, there's not a pot to stir. Nobody in the chat room is going to be moved by your statements, and uh, I'm going to move on at this point because it's utterly ridiculous. Nobody is just asking to wear the mask. And the bottom line is plenty of people were wearing the mask before. When people were just asking, plenty of people were doing just fine. In fact, if you'll take a look at the uh, statistics, in the states where there were no mask mandates, there was still barely a difference in the amount of people wearing masks as opposed to the states where there were mask mandates. When people were simply being told that Hey, we would like you to do this. You probably should do this. We think it probably helps. Most people were going along with it, even if it was just for the purpose of making somebody else feel better. And that's the funny thing about most Americans. If you ask us to do something and it seems reasonable, then we will most likely uh, do what we can. But when you turn around and you start telling people that you must do this, it's like, uh, no, 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 no. That's not how we play this game. Uh, here in the United States, we do still believe in individual liberty. New Orleans Wake Up says, I promised myself that I'm going to be more patriotic after Biden's win. So, damn it, President Biden said, wear a mask, then I'll do it. I'm going to do my patriotic duty and force people who don't comply to wear it. Okay, so now you're going to be both a lemming and a jackboot at the same time? Interesting choice. That doesn't sound like patriotism, my friend. That sounds a lot like fascism, but hey. Maybe you can get some Antifa folks to hang out with you and help you with that motive. Meanwhile, whatever, dude. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, and, you know, I, in case you haven't heard it, this is actually what Nancy Pelosi has said uh, for anybody out there. She, uh, she said, 
today, uh, time of the live broadcast, for those of you listening to rebroadcasts, it's uh, Friday, uh, December the 4th. Today, Nancy Pelosi was out there, and she said that she would work with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to pass a smaller coronavirus relief package, which she deemed was now okay, because, wait for it, quoting now, because we have a new president, which technically isn't correct. We we don't have a new president, but even if the Electoral College had gotten together and had the election and had selected a new president, you don't have a new president until after the inauguration. But, you know, that's just semantics, right? I mean, as we all know, the AP is called the election. I've never known, and I'm, I've been searching, guys. I've been, maybe somebody up there can help me with this. I've been searching long and hard. I'm looking at the Constitution. I'm still trying to find the clause that allows the AP to call the election. I've yet to do that. Anyway, Pelosi was asked by a reporter, what shifted, in your opinion, when the Problem Solvers Caucus had a much larger bill a few months ago? You didn't like that piece of legislation. What what has shifted now when they're on board with this piece that's come out of the Senate? Now, sadly, this will probably be the toughest question Ms. Pelosi is going to be asked anytime soon. But her response to that – here's a direct quote. Perhaps you missed what I said earlier. Joe Biden committed to ending and crushing the virus and had a – Build Better America initiative, Build Back Better, a vaccine, answer to our prayers, an answer to our prayers of 95% effectiveness in terms of Pfizer and uh, Moderna, and there may be others coming forward. That is a total game changer, a new president and a vaccine. She literally just admitted that the only thing that's changed is now she believes she's about to get a new president. She probably believes that Georgia is going to deliver two Democratic senators. She probably believes these things, and so now she thinks that she can settle for less now of all the little bells and whistles that she was hoping to to force into this bill in order to pass it with the understanding that now she's going to have time and she's going to have allies in the White House and the Senate will be working with them and there will be nothing to stop them. I'm sure that's what she believes. So that's why it's okay to spend less money on this now because, again, it's never been about helping small businesses to survive. It's never been about helping the American people who are struggling under democratic lockdown orders. It's been about showing who has the power. Nancy Pelosi believes that she is a force unto herself. Nancy Pelosi believes that she can control the fate of this nation, and she's not the only person in D.C. that believes that. Now, as far as… Believing that they can control the fate of the nation. But what they really don't understand is that every step that they take in this direction, they reveal themselves further. 
the numbers of Democratic voters who have been casual observers at best of the body politic that are walking away from the Democratic Party, those numbers are surging. As more and more people are finally being exposed to the whole notion of Hunter Biden and his Ukrainian and China uh, expertise, his little escapades where he was acting as a bagman and were clearly, clearly there was election interference on the part of the legacy media to prevent the majority of Americans even having access to that information. As more people are discovering it, more people are saying maybe this was an issue. And what makes it even more interesting than uh, any other aspect is uh, the legacy media now is more inclined to report on these things. They're more inclined to let this information out. Now, they're still playing patty cakes, and they're still playing nice, and they're still not asking really hard questions. But they're more inclined to do it because, again, the ultimate agenda here is to get Biden installed and then to get Biden out of the way. So watch for them to suddenly be far less resistant to these stories that might help make it easier to remove him from office because it's coming. And uh, yeah, one more comment uh, to New Orleans uh, as far as conservative Fox. Uh, Fox has stopped being conservative a while back. There's still one or two hosts on the opinion blocks that are, but uh, they're probably not going to be on the network very much longer. Uh, there is nothing conservative about Fox's coverage of this election. They have not been – since Rupert Murdoch has stepped away from day-to-day -day operations and his children have been operating the network more, I don't know if you've realized this. Maybe you don't watch it enough to know. Maybe you don't watch it ever. Maybe you're not listening to most folks, but most conservatives have actually made an active move to uh, One American News and to Newsmax. Uh, Fox News uh, has actually got ratings right now that is dipped below CNN, so – it doesn't matter who called it. It hasn't happened. The real choice for who becomes president hasn't happened yet. The election bases uh, generally who gets sent as a representative for each state as they go and they have their votes, and you get the electoral college. I, I'm sure we can spend a lot of time discussing – uh, how the system actually works, if if that's what you'd like to do someday. But I'm not going to spend that time uh, helping you to better understand the system today. The meanwhile, it's really close to the uh, the half hour break, so uh, let's take a, a little bit of a breather, and uh, hopefully, on the other side of uh, this break, we'll uh, we'll uh, have our guest for today. So you guys don't go anywhere. Uh, I'll be right back.
Here was a man who worked very hard to provide for his family, but times were tough. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, one Christmas the man's five-year-old daughter used all of the family's gold wrapping paper for one shoebox that she placed under the family tree. Money was tight, so the struggling dad wondered where the daughter got the money to buy whatever was in that shoebox. Nevertheless, Christmas morning, the little girl, filled with excitement, brought the gift box to her father. As he opened the box, the dad became angry and said, Don't you know, when you give someone a present, there should be something in the package. The little girl, with tears rolling down her cheeks, whispered, Daddy, it's not empty. I blew kisses into it until it was full. The father was crushed and begged his precious daughter to forgive him for his unnecessary anger. An accident took the life of the child a short time later. It is told that the father kept the little box by his bed all the days of his life. Whenever he was discouraged, he would open the box, take out an imaginary kiss, and remember the love of his beautiful child who put it there. In a real sense, each of us has been given an invisible golden box filled with unconditional love from family, friends, and most of all, God, who gave us his son. Merry Christmas, America. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the... RonEdwards.com Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition This is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. Are you looking for a job because you got laid off because of the coronavirus? Most veterans think that the GI Bill can only be used for college, but that's not true. It can also be used for retraining programs. So if you're out of work and looking for a new career, go to the VA.gov and look at the GI Bill benefits. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for uh, staying with me through that very brief break. Uh, We have a special treat uh, for this next block. Uh, We have a guest who is quite well known in the uh, West Coast circles. He is the host of the longest-running libertarian radio show in America, if uh, my information is uh, is, uh, correct, and I believe it to be. Uh, He's also uh, the uh, author of the latest effort called Essential Liberty. And uh, in Essential Liberty, Finding Freedom in a Post-COVID World, uh, he discusses the uh, ups and downs and the trials and tribulations of how we discover where our liberty goes forward and how we manage to maintain and hold on to it uh, under the pressures of the expansing the expanding efforts of certain office holders as they try to grow their power base. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Bob Zedek. Uh, Bob, again, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. Uh, I'm uh, very, very happy to have you with us tonight. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for inviting me. Glad to be here. All right. Well, obviously, uh, we continue to see uh, this this. Mania, I would refer to it as we see uh, lots of big name uh, Democratic office holders and governors and mayors' offices across the country uh, hitting the panic button as they see COVID 19 numbers expanding again. We see some pushback from the courts. Uh, ultimately, this is a nation. Uh, built on laws and built on the ideas of liberty. Uh, and I know that you have a lot to say on both topics, but 
what should we be looking for right now as we enter in this dark winter, as Joe Biden referred to it? We should be looking for a ballot box is what we should be looking for. But uh, since we have to wait a bit for the next election, at least we should, we being citizens, we being subjects of some very autocratic uh, mayors and governors. I'll kind of give the president the free pass on this one since most of the uh, deprivation of liberty was at the state and local level. So uh, outgoing President Trump gets a pass on at least this segment of the show. Uh, But to answer your question, uh, we are a nation of laws, and part of the problem is that the governors and mayors were to some degree acting under laws. That is to say the legislature, and legislatures are very much at fault uh, in this discussion because they have, through legislation, given mayors – governors, and any other chief executive, enormous powers. Legislatures do that because it helps them get reelected. How does that happen? Because if they delegate and transfer their power to the chief executive, then the chief executive gets all the heat. Look what we're talking about on this show. We are talking about autocratic mayors and governors. Well, they would have no power except if the legislature gave it to them. So therefore, we start with an understanding that legislatures love to delegate power. They dispense power. So others take the heat, and they get reelected, and they can't be yelled at. And nobody is criticizing legislatures, but they should be criticized for empowering the governor. Now, governors and mayors are exercising Emergency powers. Emergency powers must be understood. We have to be informed voters. Now, what are emergency powers? Well, generally, all power to regulate us starts with the legislatures, the elected officials in the legislature. And, however, legislators have practical impossibilities. If an emergency happens... They can't get organized fast enough. They can't call a session fast enough and have witnesses testify as to what the best practices are. So any political unit, a state or a city, has to have a way for government to act quickly in the case of emergency. So they give governors and mayors emergency powers. That is, powers to exercise only until the legislature can act. But here, that's supposed to be a 30-day power. It's been nine months going on a year. So the governors have accepted the the emergency power, and they just continue declaring an emergency forever. If you follow politics in third-world countries, you will learn that Venezuela and Libya and every other quasi-democracy, the president who now becomes a dictator is operating under emergency powers. Emergency powers have to be doled out very stingily, only until the legislature can act and can enact legislation that will set the rules. And so we are 
being oppressed by mayors and governors who are enjoying more power than King George ever fantasized having, and he caused a revolution in America 231 years ago. And now we have Mayor Cuomo, or Governor Cuomo, and Mayor de Blasio, and all their counterparts around the country, exercising more powers than a king ever imagined he or she was having, and they are doing so unchecked by any other government except for the Supreme Court, which finds, as they did with the case of governor in Michigan, uh, governor, uh, uh, the governor Whitmer. of Michigan, that she has, where's, where's, thank you, she has exceeded even her emergency powers. So that's what's going on. And the reason you and I are so upset is that we have taken liberty for granted. It's like oh, anything, any luxury that you have, any pleasure that you have, whether it's the, comp- the companion of a wife or a companion or a friend or a partner, whether it's anything in life that gives you pleasure. Human nature is we take it for granted until it's gone. And the, my, my book that I edited finding freedom in a post-COVID world is because Americans for the first time have discovered what it's like to not have the freedom we have taken for granted, the freedom to go to a church or synagogue, the freedom to have dinner with your friends, the freedom to go to work, the freedom to have a haircut. We have taken those for granted. Shame on us. Now they are taken from us. We can spend as much time as you wish discussing the wisdom of what the governors and mayors have done. But the one thing for sure they have done is taken away freedom that we have taken for granted. So we have to learn what it feels like to have it deprived so we don't let it happen again. This is now a master's degree in the loss of freedom, and I hope to heaven we learn from it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, you're you're dead on. Uh, certainly, don't find any flaw with the logic at all. Uh, of course, uh, I didn't suspect I would. Uh, it, I've, I've been postulating for a while myself on air now that part of the reason why so many young people have uh, been able to be converted to this idea that socialism is a good thing is because we haven't had any real hardship in this country probably since the end of World War II. That was probably the last time that the nation as a whole had to pull together because even though we saw banding together at the 9-11 attacks, it was extremely short-lived. And, and America has lived at a level so far above the world average of poverty in that time frame that it's very difficult for uh, people to understand communism and socialism as anything other than a thought process. I think that's kind of the same scenario here is we're finally uh, seeing liberty taken from us uh, and proving that there's no bi- uh, basis for this uh, withdrawal of liberty in the first place. When you look at the stats, when you look at who was wearing masks when we were asked to as opposed to when we were being told to, uh, all of these things still equate to most people are capable of making these decisions for themselves. And 
in a nation where the citizens are supposed to be the sovereigns and we just hire these people to go do the people's business, they should always be working in that mindset too. Uh, I mean, we can look at a multitude of reasons where uh, the bailings happened. You know, you can make a big case for when the Senate became uh, issued by the popular vote as opposed to being selected by states. You 1913, 1913, 17th Amendment. Yeah. 1913 was the worst year in the history of the Constitution. The income tax and the 17th Amendment, uh, direct election of senators, everything got ruined in one year. Yeah. yeah. And you can also make the same case that when the change in mindset that suddenly you could have such a thing as a career politician, uh, that that was a dark day. And those two kind of went hand in hand, I think. Uh, there was not a need for term limits in the earliest days of this country. Uh, you went, you served, you got back home to take care of your business. You didn't think about uh, angling it uh, because you had other pressing engagements. Uh, you can go further back than that. The bottom line here is that we now live uh, in a country where our basic liberties are being deprived. Uh, other than having to learn from this association uh, – what else can we do on the street other obviously than pick up a copy of Essential Liberty and uh, find all your work there? What would you recommend for the average citizen right now who's seen this coming, who's been screaming at the uh, forest where no one's listening, and who still feels uh, so disenfranchised now that uh, they either face taking drastic actions that nobody wants them to do or uh, slip into a depression so deep that uh, they can't slip out of it. How do we fight back at this point short of going to the ballot box, and which has to take a premise? That, how do you keep your spirits up, I guess, is the real question I'm asking. Well, that's a, ver that's a very personal question, and I pride myself on having a solid working knowledge of constitutional history in America. I'm a libertarian. Uh, I study philosophy. I'm not so strong on psychology. And how people keep their spirits up, that's a very personal question. Um, I'm not so sure I can give a universal answer. I say what I do is I remind myself every minute, not that I have to be reminded, of everything that I still have. And yes, I cannot go to restaurants, but shame on me for feeling sorry for myself because I can't go to a restaurant and I can't go to Starbucks with my buddies on a Friday morning and chat about whatever we feel like. Sure, I miss it. It will pass. And just for most of America, look out the window. Look out the window and look at what you have and look at what you still have and understand this is short-lived, and what you do is you say to yourself, they will be punished at the ballot box. We will, and voting for candidates, not who support your economic interests, but vote for candidates who support a platform of personal liberty and personal responsibility. How often or how infrequently do you find a candidate who says, I am running on a simple platform. I trust you to be able to run your life better than I can if I am elected. And I will do everything I can in the legislature or in the executive branch to give you back the right to run your life. Look for that platform 
and that is the candidate who ought to get your vote. Now, that's a long-range solution. That's not going to make you happy in the next 48 hours. But if you say, they will pay, they will pay, I will use my vote uh, in that way, then they get the message. The other way is, and it's more drastic, is the most powerful form of voting is what's called foot voting. Foot voting means I'm out of here. What Americans don't realize is given that we have 50 states, this country is like a governmental shopping mall. What I mean is you go into a mall and you walk around any suburban mall and they, if there are malls, and there you have this choice. You can go to one store or another store. You get to have a choice. And the stores that don't offer what you want will fail. And it will be replaced by a store that gives you what you want. We have 50 stores in our shopping mall of government. They're called states. And Americans in California, where I live, are leaving in droves. Because they say to Governor Newsom, take your government and shove it. It's not the way I want to live. And that vote is, first of all, it makes a profound difference on the life of the voter because you have improved your life. You have done something about it. And you have given a message to the government you've left and the government you've arrived at. And that has an unbelievable influence collectively on how governments are organized. And over time, the states like New York and Illinois and California, which have progressive governments that are failing, will run out of customers and they will close up like the bad store in the mall. And, and that gives you comfort because you've improved your own life and you've punished bad government and you've sent a message. And by the way, just if I may, um, my uh, my thoughts are not in the my book, my four books that I've written are I've edited the books. They are compilations of segments of interviews I've done with guests on my show. I do a, a Sunday, as you know, a Sunday morning live show, which is broadcast nationally on the web. It's live streamed and it's podcast under the Bob Zadig show. So if any of this gets you a bit curious. Uh, I invite you to check out my podcast or my live show on Sunday mornings, my podcast, all wherever podcasts are, and all of the shows from the first one I did 14 years ago are all there. So um, that's my longish suggestion about how to get through this very temporary but very unpleasant period. All right. I've got one more question for you, uh, Bob, and, uh, and I'll give you another opportunity to share all that, too, because I definitely want people to check out the show, check out the website, and follow you on social Thank media, you. at least as Thank long you. as social media is allowing conservatives and libertarians to continue to have a space there at any rate. That's another show. Um, have me back, and we can discuss Section 230 and social media. That's a whole other topic, but a very interesting uh, one. Absolutely. Well, the point I want to get to and ask the question here is obviously you're well aware of the recent studies that came out shows that uh, COVID deaths are extremely small percentage, and it's just 
uh, been built up to be this uh, boogeyman. Now, obviously, the people that are susceptible to it uh, need to take all precautions, and most people should take reasonable per- precautions. I think most people are on that page. But when you see the numbers and when you see the amount of information, we've watched the continuing rotation of opinions from the CDC and from uh, government recommendations, and we've seen all this. Uh, I don't think it's unfair to uh, assess this as being a moving target that was hard for the people who were trying to make these decisions to make good suggestions up front because they didn't have great information either. But at this point, uh, based on what you're seeing, does this feel to you more like uh, a, an honest effort, if somewhat misguided, at securing public health? Or is this about trying to control the population and get people conditioned to simply following their orders? I'd like to, with your permission, correct your question a tiny bit and then answer it. Um, okay. Was it an honest effort? No. It was, it was a failed effort, and here's why I am critical. It is not government's job. It is not, let's take, a hypothetical governor. It is not a governor's job or only job to keep us healthy. A governor's job is to overall protect our health, welfare, and safety. Now, health is one part of it. It's not the only part. What the governors have done, misguided because they are bad at their job. I am critical. Their job is to protect my overall well-being. Now, my overall well-being may require compromises in health in order to improve overall well-being, like earning money, to uh, keeping myself mentally healthy and keeping myself free of depression. When you focus only on one aspect, health from the virus, and ignore mental health that results from being out of work, and you ignore the need for physical uh, for for physical comforts that you get from money, when you only look at one part of the equation, you, you protect health, maybe, but you overall harm people. There is no question in my mind that overall society has been overall net harmed by the policy. Maybe, maybe they are healthier, but at what expense? And the example I always like to give is this. I start with Governor Cuomo, one of the most mean-spirited, bad-at-their-job governors there ever was. Governor Cuomo famously said early in in governor of New York, early in the crisis, even one human life is invaluable. It's worth saving. Here's how he is wrong. We permit people to drive cars in America. 55,000 Americans are killed every year in traffic accidents. If Governor Cuomo is right, driving should be illegal because we are intentionally killing 55,000 Americans. Now, nobody would make driving illegal because we need it. Have I proved my point? If driving should be legal even though we kill Americans, then going to work should be legal, even though Americans may die from the virus. Now, some people are more careful than others when they drive. Some people may not drive almost not at all because it's unsafe. 
that's their decision. Some people will go to work. Some people will be very careful when they go to work. Some people might be less careful. That's their decision to make. This is the first time in 231 years that Americans who are not sick and committed no crime have been subject to collective house arrest. They did nothing wrong, and they are not a threat to other people. They have been locked up under house arrest because governors say, you're not smart enough to take care of yourself. Well, that's offensive to me. I am smart enough to take care of myself. I will make my own decision. Thank you very much. That's my my response to your question. I think that's a very reasonable and measured response, too. All right, Bob. Again, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I, I know you've got a lot of things going on. You're a very busy man. So uh, when you squeak you out this much time for somebody, oh, absolutely. I believe it. Uh, so, uh, again, thank you so much. And please, one more time, uh, feel free to share all the information. Let people know where they can find the book, share the it's website, the, uh, and any of your social show. media handles. Thank you. It's Bob Zadek Show, Z-A-D-E-K. The live stream, national live stream, is Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. Pacific. It's a live show, one hour, no commercials, always a guest, always a smart guest. Uh, my, I have four books available on Amazon, Bob Zadek, which are compilations of my shows. And, of course, my podcast will live forever. It will outlive me. Enjoy the podcast as well. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, Bob, I hope we can get back together again and have some more of those conversations. I've enjoyed it. I hope you All you have to do is invite me. All you have to do is invite me. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, and have a happy holiday season, sir. Look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you kindly. Yes, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Bob Zadek. And, of course, there is a link to his website in the Today's Show description if you'd like to hit it, plus a link to the Amazon site for Essential Liberty, which is his latest. But from there, you can find the others as well. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, very smart. You can can tell this man's been doing uh, radio and now doing his uh, uh, podcast for quite a while now. Loves to talk, and he's got that presence. Kind of digging it. Uh, I'm peeking back in the chat room now because I was disconnected from it for a little bit. And wow, it's just me and Chief now. Uh, I guess Cajun probably had something going on, or maybe he got uh, enough of New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans left too, though. So anyway, uh, we're looking at shutting down this first hour right now. And since most of the people that uh, most of the people, since most of the radio stations that uh, rebroadcast the show do it in one-hour increments, uh, I do the little reset, and we'll we'll do that momentarily. So for those of you that listen to the podcast and are wondering why I always do that, I, I usually explain it. So hopefully uh, this isn't a new concept to you, but just in case you're a new listener, uh, that'll be why we'll do the reset. Meaning that if you're listening to the podcast or if you ever stop by BTR and listen live, don't go anywhere after the first reset. We do two hours live every time I get on here. Uh, sometimes I greatly regret doing it live because when things pop up, I'm terrible at multitasking and I am in the studio by myself right now. So <laughs> it, it gets to be less than entertaining radio. But I got to tell you, uh, loving uh, the, the Christmas spirit slow 
slowly starting to to really fill me up. I'm starting to feel much much better about things. Uh, this has been a very slow struggle. I I have not been a happy camper the last few weeks. And clearly, uh, having to dive back into politics doesn't help my mood any because it's so ridiculous what we're seeing happen here. But uh, remember, uh, we've got each other, uh, guys. We we have each other, and we still have a great nation for as long as we're willing to keep it. And uh, I'm uh, making sure that I want to be clear. I am calling for us to fight for our republic. Uh, at this point in time, I'm still saying fight in the courts, fight at the ballot box, uh, fight in the arena of ideas. That's what I'm talking about, and I pray that it doesn't have to escalate any further than that. In the meanwhile, for those of you that I am saying goodbye to for the moment, I am going to have to uh, remind you to please, please, whatever else you take from this broadcast, do not take anything that I say for gospel. Do not take it for granted. Go out, do your own research, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, stay safe. Stay healthy and uh, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. Looking at you, New Orleans. In the meanwhile, uh, if you're here live, stay right where you're at. If you're listening to the rebroadcast, uh, catch you on the flip side. Have a great weekend, everybody.
because of foreign wars we wage More to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've got to be of Tap Into The Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. And I am having a blast tonight. Just had a, a fun conversation with uh, uh, Bob Zett back in the first hour as we closed out the first hour. For those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast of the show on great radio stations across the country, radio stations like WCET in Columbia, South Carolina, we're looking at WCETFM.com, or you can check out the app. Uh, great radio stations like KYAH, 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority. Stations like KDIL, 105.7 FM in Kennewick, Washington, and of course, last but not least, not by a long shot, KOII, 94.5 FM in Flagstaff, Arizona. If you're listening on one of those great radio stations, then first of all, thank you very much, and uh, thanks to all the guys there that made the decision to put this show on, but you, you're hearing a rebroadcast. You're not hearing the show as it was live. So just for your general information, and just in case it's a few days between now and the time that you actually hear it, uh, just just for, so it doesn't sound too awfully dated is really what I'm saying. Um, time of the live broadcast is Friday night. It's December the 4th. It's 2020. It's a few brief moments after 8 p.m. Eastern. You, of course, can uh, – you can – 
adjust to your time zone accordingly, which is something I usually say when I start talking about the folks that are hanging out in the chat room, especially when I start talking about Chief, who is currently the only person hanging out in the BTR chat room with me after the folks who were here earlier have all bailed out. I don't know if they got upset at Bob, uh, if they got upset at me, if they got upset at each other. Uh, not a lot of surprise uh, that uh, a little dander gets raised when New Orleans decides to get on a, a bit of a rip. Uh, and uh, I probably give him way too much uh, time on air when he does this, but I, I do like responding sometimes to some of the things that he says. The last thing that he posted before he bailed out back in the first hour – as he said, and this unfortunately is a mindset that I think we see demonstrated by a lot of folks. He said, quoting him here, I don't care how corrupt the Bidens are supposed to be. He's better than corrupted Trump and his family. Now, I didn't see that when he posted it because I was doing other things. It was on different screens, and I don't always have the chat where I can keep an eye on it the whole time. Again, I've explained multiple times. I'm not being a millennial. I'm from a generation where multitasking sometimes doesn't come as easy to me as it should, especially if you're doing this kind of thing. Uh, if you're going to be hosting a talk show, you got to be able to do multiple things. I should be able to keep up with social media posts and contacting and reading and, and sharing uh, potent stuff uh, on air. I, and yeah, I, I should be doing that, but uh, you know, that's not me, but I do – I want to talk a little bit about that mindset because that is a mindset that we have talked about over and over again on air saying that it's a problem. Only what you've done is you've heard me saying this is a problem. Now you get to hear me read what New Orleans wake up said, and if you've listened to the show long enough that you've heard me responding to New Orleans, uh, you know that this isn't just some made-up character where I'm uh, playing off to try and make a point. Which I know some shows have done that. You know who I'm talking about out there. But uh, he, he says exactly what we were saying back in the time of Hillary Clinton running for president back in those, those long forgotten days of 2016. And I said a multitude of times at that point that the real problem isn't that Hillary Clinton is a criminal. It isn't that Hillary Clinton is a beast of darkness that is one of the physical embodiments of pure evil. The problem is that the people around her know that she is, and they support her anyway because her rise to power in their minds gets them more power. It's all about the willingness to sacrifice what it means to have somebody like that in charge in order to gain something for themselves. And I'm not sure what power uh, some rank-and-file voter would get, which in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty much where I fall. I'm, I'm not some major media powerhouse. I don't influence millions of people. Uh, I mean, well, maybe I influence them more than I realize, but I, I don't think I do. Uh, I certainly don't have the type of uh, demand for my show at the upper echelons to bring them their super powerful ratings that one would expect if I had that kind of power. So I, I'm going to say it's safe to make that assumption. Uh, Chief uh, just posted, on the planet Zontar, the time of the live broadcast 
is 11.37 a.m. July 17th, 2028. Uh, you insist the speed of uh, light. You should now be able to determine the location of Zontar. <laughs> it's uh, using the speed of light. I'm sure it's what he meant. Uh, uh, one little typo. One little letter gets out of place, uh, and suddenly it becomes strange. But uh, yes, yes, we will use uh, the proper physics to find out where Zontar is, and I will try to make sure that only conservatives and reasonable libertarians make it uh, uh, from Earth to there. I will try to keep uh, the liberals and the leftists. Well, you know, liberals themselves aren't that bad. It's the, the leftists that claim to be liberal, the so-called progressives who are anything but that are the problem. So, you know, uh, actual liberals. Uh, I, the only disagreement I have with them usually is what the role of government should be, and we can usually come to a point where we just agree to disagree uh, because an actual liberal is somebody that is willing to stand up for my right to express myself, my freedom of speech as we like to call it here. And if you're not willing to stand for the freedom of speech, you're not a liberal. Sorry, most conservatives are more liberal today… Uh, than the people who claim the mantle of liberal, and that's that's a sad thing as well. But hey, what are you going to do? Now, usually when uh, Chief posts something like that, that's his uh, subtle, not-so-subtle way of trying to tell me it's time to move on from the chattering and to get to a story. And uh, he's right. He is. He's got a great sense for these things too. I like Chief a lot. He's really tough on me sometimes, but I really like Chief. I love his show too. I really do. Um Anyway, a couple of stories I would like to get to for sure, and then maybe sneak a, a one or two more in if I can, which usually is a major task for me to try to do within an hour because I get on these little rants like I'm doing right now. But uh, on Thursday of this week, writing in the Wall Street Journal, the director of national intelligence, Mr. John Radcliffe, he issued uh, what it's fair to uh, categorize, I believe, as a clarion call. He was warning of China's determination to dominate the United States. In his writing, he was revealing that he had briefed the House and Senate Intelligence Committees that China is targeting members of Congress with six times the frequency of Russia and 12 times the frequency of Iran. Now, these are two countries that we generally perceive to be enemies of the United States. Uh, Ratcliffe began by asserting that China poses not only the greatest threat to America today, but also the greatest threat to democracy and freedom worldwide since World War II. He's literally putting China on par with the Nazis and the ambition that the Nazis had of eventually ruling the entire planet. They made allies for the purposes of letting them collect blocks, promising them, saying, oh, yeah, Japan, you can have all of Asia except for Russia. And actually, just got to go out to, to all of the Pacific Rim. That, that's what you can have. And Italy, you, you can have Africa. And how long do you think it would have been before – after the Nazis had managed to take control of Europe? How long do you think it would have been before they would have started taking Africa from, from Italy? 
I mean, I, I don't know that they would have tried to attack both Italy and Japan at the same time after they gave up these blocks, but they would knew that, that they would be stretched so thin that they couldn't possibly withstand what they were up to. And once that happened, they would have targeted America. This was the plan. This was the goal. There's no question. There's no doubt. So when Radcliffe says China is the greatest threat to freedom worldwide since the Nazi regime… I can't say for sure he's not trying to use hyperbole if he's not trying to go a little over the top in his sense of it. But if you truly understand the scope of what he's saying, that's a pretty big threat. Now, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. If you've been paying attention, you know that the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party looks at the United States of America and still considers us to be their great enemy. No matter how nice we try to be to them, no matter how much business we do with them, no matter how much we let their economy try to overtake our economy uh, as a global leader, they want that control. They love the fact that we're being dumb enough to just hand it over to them because that's what's happening. That's what we're doing. We're ignoring the threat that China poses now because we want to pretend like we live in a kumbaya world. That's not the world we live in. Yeah, I know. It's Christmas time. It's, it is that season. I should be out here talking about goodwill towards men and women and, and all the other genders that uh, leftists pretend exist. We should be doing these things. Yeah, I get that. But at the end of the day, we face a real threat, and Radcliffe was trying to tell these people maybe one last time that he gets the chance to do so. And in the process, hopefully at least if Congress isn't listening, if the Senate isn't listening, if the House isn't listening, if the White House isn't listening, hopefully at the very least the American people are listening because they're attempting to install in Beijing Biden… Handy, grabby, feely, creepy, Uncle Joe, barely there, Beijing Biden. They're attempting to install someone into the White House that has way too cozy of a relationship with the communist government running China. Now, Ratcliffe tried to explain. He said, and I'm quoting now, I call its approach of economic espionage rib, <clears throat> rob, replicate, and replace. China robs U.S. companies of their intellectual property, replaces the technology, and then replaces the U.S. firms in the global marketplace. Well, that's just business, Tim. That's it's not business. It's espionage. It's the destruction of the American economy and the strengthening of theirs. It's a pretty strong position to be at when you're looking to be globally dominant, and I'm not talking financially globally dominant. That's one phase of a military plan. Ratcliffe offered examples like the Chinese wind turbine manufacturer uh, Cineval, which was found guilty by a federal jury of stealing trade secrets from American superconductors. Ratcliffe also uh, said that penalties were imposed, but the damage was already done. The theft resulted in the U.S. company losing more than $1 billion in shareholder value and cutting 700 American jobs. 
Today, Sandoval sells wind turbines worldwide as if it built a legitimate business through ingenuity and hard work rather than theft. The Chinese and the Russians, for that matter, have a longstanding history of not creating their own scientific breakthroughs but from stealing them from us. Rightcliffe also referenced the head of Harvard's chemistry department, a Chinese national, who was arrested after China allegedly was paying him $50,000 a month to, quote, attract top scientists and reward them for stealing information. Rightcliffe said that China also steals sensitive U.S. defense technology to fuel President Jinping's aggressive plan to make China the world's foremost military power. U.S. intelligence shows that China has even conducted human testing on members of the People's Liberation Army in hopes of developing soldiers with biologically enhanced capabilities. There are no ethical boundaries to Beijing's pursuit of power. Now, there was a point in time where Radcliffe would not have to go in front of anybody to say these things. Americans knew it instinctively. We understood who our enemies were and the fact that they were willing to literally do anything. It's where China is. Also in this piece… Radcliffe wrote that China's intelligence services use their access to tech firms such as uh, Huawei to enable malicious activities, including the introduction of vulnerabilities into software and equipment. Vis-a-vis Congress… He said that this year China engaged in a massive influence campaign that included targeting several dozen members of Congress and congressional aides. He stated, quote, today we must look with clear eyes at the facts in front of us, which make plain that China should be America's primary national security focus going forward. We shouldn't assume that Beijing's efforts to drag the world back into the dark will fail just because the forces of good have triumphed before in modern times. Beijing is preparing for an open-ended period of confrontation with the U.S. Washington should also be prepared. Leaders must work across partisan divides to understand the threat, speak about it openly, and take action to address it. He said more, but I need to make a comment right there. He said leaders must work across partisan divides. I'm not sure that we have very many of those in the House or the Senate. There are a few people in both of those bodies of our Congress that I respect and that I think do on occasion show some leadership. But at the end of the day, the evaluation for the majority of people holding office, regardless of what letter they've got attached to the end of their name, they are not leaders. Sadly, the overwhelming majority of people who've been elected to office 
in this country at every level of government. The overwhelming majority fail to meet the definition of the word leader. Well, but, but Tim, the, the definition of leader is that you lead someone, and don't, don't elected officials have authority over people? Aren't they someone's boss? Being somebody's boss really doesn't necessarily make you a leader. I know a lot of <clears throat> supervisors who don't lead in any real capacity, and that's in the private sector. Now, I'm not talking about my current position, but I have worked in other jobs where there were a lot of folks that actually had official management titles that really didn't do much in the way of leading. I've often been bestowed that mantle myself, actually, by others, because I typically choose to lead by example. And when I was digging in and getting elbow deep, some people responded to it and other people looked at it and thought that I was Actually being taken advantage of. It's like, no, that's not it. My attitude towards that approach is a simple one. I know that some people are never going to be leadable. But some people are going to see that example, and they're going to realize that if I, who's supposed to be in charge of these people, am willing to get in and get my hands just as dirty, I'm willing to sweat just as hard, I'm willing to push just as hard to try to get the job done. If I'm willing to do that, then they're going to take it a little more seriously when I ask them to step up their game. That – you can debate the merits, but that's my, uh, that's my default position on that. I instinctively go to that place. I wish I could physically do all the things I used to do then. He's right. Leaders should be working across partisan divides. Unfortunately, the partisan divides we currently have would not exist. It's certainly not to the extent they do if we had leaders instead of simply having politicians who are playing for teams. But his point is not a wrong point. We should be talking about it openly, and uh, the folks in D.C. should be willing to not only uh, talk about it and talk about it in the open, but they need to be prepared to take action. Otherwise, America is going to be caught unaware, and when you are planning by the seat of your pants, the only thing you're really planning for is to be caught with your pants down. Like I said, he said more uh, – he concluded in this piece by saying – uh, quoting again, Americans have always risen to the moment from defeating the scourge of fascism to bringing down the Iron Curtain. This generation will be judged by its response to China's effort to reshape the world in its own image and replace America as the dominant superpower. The intelligence is clear. Our response must be as well. Now, I I'm loving the forcefulness there. Too bad we don't have somebody with a spine, with a backbone, who hangs out in D.C., who's in a position of authority, who could help make that kind of thing happen. It's a real shame, isn't it? I mean, there was that orange man who was bad. You know, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the... The climate arsonist, that guy was willing to take on China. I mean he was fighting a, 
an economic war. He was fighting the battle there. But when you consider that's how China plans on becoming the super threat it's trying to be, uh, that seems like a pretty good place to start to me. But, you know, we've got folks that are trying to to install someone who's much nicer to China, who's taking money from China. At least members of his family have. We don't know for sure if he has. But, you know, what's interesting about that is there are some folks that are now asking Congress to review Joe Biden's bank records. I'll go there next, but before I do, I want to finish up with this because Radcliffe wasn't done. He decided to make an appearance on CBS News, and speaking to them, he said, quoting once again, so they want laws and policies out of the United States that are favorable to China, and what they're really trying to do is through blackmail, through bribery, through overt and covert influence, trying to make sure that only laws that are favorable to China are passed. I was so troubled by what I saw as Director of National Intelligence that I went and briefed both the House and the Senate Intelligence Committees on this information, which they found surprising and troubling. But did they? Or did they pretend? Did they act as if, oh, this, this is terrible, or were they truly alarmed? Because some of the people that they, he would have been informing of this, some of the people, they should already be aware, shouldn't they? Some of these people are the people being influenced, being bought off, but anyway. Now, I said I would uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the folks that are calling for Joe Biden's bank records. I'm going to sneak that in before the mid-hour break, and I'm going to try to get to a different story after that. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But just in case you're not aware, and this is the kind of thing that sometimes flies under the radar, uh, and hopefully it will not for very long. Hopefully over the weekend and maybe a little bit into next week, this will become a mainstay because this is something that probably should happen. But a coalition – of conservative leaders have written a letter to the House Ways and Means Committee Chair, Representative Richard Neal. Happens to be a Democrat, just in case you're not familiar. Now, in this letter, it points out that since he has stated the need for investigating criminal wrongdoing by public officials, he should ask for former Vice President Biden's bank records. Uh, remember, Richard Neal is one of these guys that was all about releasing tax returns. In fact, back in December, December of 2019, almost a full year ago now, Neil, who had been calling for President Trump to release his tax returns, well, Neil released eight years of tax records of his own, saying that the move came, quote, in the spirit of transparency as the, the chair of the committee with jurisdiction over taxes. Now, really, this was a political move to try to play theater. I don't even know that you'd call it move. It was theater. It was an effort to say, see, I'll do it. Why not you, Donald Trump? Why not you, orange man who is bad? Why not you, kicker of puppies and eater of babies, you climate arsonist, you? Meanwhile, the president of 
Frontiers of Freedom, the president of Americans for Limited Government, the president of the Institute for Liberty, president of Less Government, co-chairman of Project 21, president of 60 Plus, and president of the American Business Defense Council. All these folks, uh, a few of which have actually been on the show, by the way, uh, they began the letter that they wrote by saying <clears throat> quoting from the letter now your recent comments about the need to investigate criminal wrongdoing by public officials and the importance of transparency to american government have not gone unnoticed as you know allegations of just such wrongdoing and the lack of transparency have arisen over the last two months based on emails found on a personal computer belonging to hunter biden the son of Vice President Joseph Biden, a computer whose authenticity has been established by the FBI. So after delineating alleged acts by former Vice President Biden, the letter then continues, says, quote, we hope that you would welcome the chance to assist Vice President Biden in laying to rest any allegations that he was using his office and official travel to influence foreign governments or entities to benefit his son's business. And to answer this question, was any of that income received by Vice President Biden or other family members? Thus… We hope that in view of your strong demand for transparency and disclosure, you will endorse our suggestion that your committee ask for Vice President Biden's bank records and those of the rest of his family over the period of his vice presidency and immediately thereafter. Now, the letter also continues saying that in this way, he can put to rest any allegations, including concerns about how he acquired his extensive personal wealth and his large estate. If members of the committee from both sides as well as their legal counsel could be permitted to examine the records and then report to the Congress, this would do much to clear the air. Moreover, if you took this initiative as a member of the Democratic House leadership, this would do much to show that your interest in full disclosure and investigating corruption extends to members of your own party. The letter concludes by saying, quote, the American people have a right to this information, and we are hopeful that you and the vice president will see the advantage of the full disclosure suggested by our proposal before demands for a special counsel became deafening. You know, so a little bit of a threat there at the end. Now, I don't know about you, but my first instinctive reaction to this is, okay, great letter, great political posturing, wasted effort. Because we know that the media generally protects the Democrats. We know that the Democratic Party generally circles the wagons. They do not often step up 
and focus on democratic corruption. It's a very rare thing. In fact, Al Franken may be the only Democrat in my lifetime uh, since I was old enough to remember at any rate that faced any real political um, pushback from the party, and even then he had to commit a crime that was a an affront to wokeness. He didn't commit a crime that was merely just criminal, but a crime of lack of wokeness. <sighs> I'm peeking back in the chat room, and uh, earlier when I said I wouldn't send the uh, leftist as Anton, uh, Chief responded by saying, send the leftist. We have surface-to-space defenses. And uh, Cajun has rejoined the chat room. He's enjoying some Olive Garden. Uh, so that's where he went to. He stopped, uh, left uh, to eat a little bit. Uh, and he says the best thing about Olive Garden takeout, there's not a mess to clean up in the kitchen. All right. Well, glad you, glad you came back uh, there, Cajun, and glad you're enjoying your meal. All right. So we're a little bit past the halfway point of the hour. So, you know, it's time to take that mid-hour break as we normally do. So let me gear up a little bit of Christmas music. We'll do the Edwards Notebook, and, uh, you know, we'll continue on. Uh, in the meanwhile, please, whatever else you do, don't go away. Uh, I'll be right back. maker in Indiana wanted to produce a candy that would be a witness, so he made the Christmas Candy Gang. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, the candy maker began with a stick of pure white hard candy to symbolize the virgin birth and sinless nature of Jesus. The candy maker made the candy in the form of a J to represent the name of Jesus who came to earth as our Savior. It also represented the staff of the Good Shepherd, who reaches down into the ditches of the world to lift out the fallen lambs that have gone astray. Realizing his candy was very plain, the candy maker stated with red stripes to symbolize the scourging Jesus received by which we are all healed. The large red stripe was for the blood shed by Jesus on the cross so that we could have the promise of eternal life. Unfortunately, the candy became known only as a candy cane, a meaningless decoration seen at Christmas time. But the meaning is still there for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that this symbol will again be used to witness the wonder of Jesus and his great love that came down to us remain the ultimate and dominant force in the universe today and forever. Merry Christmas, and may God bless everyone. I'm Ron Edwards. 
please check out theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Welcome, I'm Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Many veterans have been in the hospital throughout the pandemic without the ability to see family or loved ones. As a result, depression is on the rise. Here's your veterans tip of the day. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us and click on the donate button to contribute an MP3 system to a veteran. You can help fight depression. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. This has been your veterans tip of the day. Thank you so much for staying with me through that very brief break. I hope you guys aren't getting that same staticky sound I just got. I don't know what it is while I'm playing uh, that music. Uh, I try to, to slide it down a little bit, and uh, if I start talking, then all of a sudden it's – anyway, I hope it's sounding better at your end is still my point. All right, so uh, thank you for staying with me through that very brief break. I want to take this opportunity to remind everybody who's listening on one of those great radio stations that carries the show. Take a little time uh, out of your busy schedule, please, and uh, show these stations some love. Uh, they all could use it. Uh, they are all out there trying to provide for you a great service, and that is give a platform for conservative voices to be out there. Uh, Cajun says, BTR bandwidth, it sucks. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I really do need to set up a better way and then just upload this, but I would miss – the live interaction in the chat rooms. That's that's the only thing. I'll have to figure out a work around there. Uh, eventually, I suspect if if Spreaker will make their platform a little bit more user friendly, uh, I may very well end up sliding back over there permanently and slide from here because I know most of the folks here uh, can and will follow uh, host over there. They've done it before, but uh, anyway. I do want to give special shout-outs to the folks listening. Thank you very much as listeners of KYAH, 540 AM, all you Utah folks. Even though you didn't listen to me about Mitt Romney, hopefully you will next uh, go-around. Uh, folks listening to WCET, thank you so much as well. Appreciate all you great listeners. Uh, if you're listening to KDIL, uh, that, of course, is 105.7 FM in Kennewick. Uh, thank you, guys. Great to have a station uh, that even though you're one of the more conservative areas of the state, uh, you guys are in a state that typically just have a hard time uh, keeping common sense uh, as the rule of the day. And, of course, if you're listening at KOII, uh, that, of course, 94.5 FM in Flagstaff, Arizona, again, thank you so much for, for listening to this show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the stations. And like I said, show them some love. Show them some support. Even if all you can do is just send them an email message letting them know that you're listening and that you like what you're hearing and which shows you like, sometimes that's enough 
to help keep these folks motivated to bring you the best radio programming that they can. Uh, and it lets them know the kind of shows you like, too. So they'll go get more of that. They'll keep the shows that they like, uh, that you guys like. They'll get rid of people like me when the new cycle comes along because you tell them how much you don't like me. Uh, it's all good. I would much rather you get a great product. But uh, if that's all you can do, uh, then okay. But uh, I know these stations desperately desperately could use some listener support so uh sign up uh you, over at wcet you can become a late nighter uh i'm not sure what uh they're doing over at kyah but i know listener support is uh highly supported over there too uh just you do what you have to do <laughs> all right so with that being said I'd also like to remind you that if you're truly going to enjoy the blessings of individual liberty, a big part of holding on to that liberty is also being self-sufficient. And there is one company that has been working for a long time tirelessly to help you be self-sufficient, and that's my friends over at Patriot Supply. So go visit my Patriot Supply. Follow the link in today's show description if you would, and uh, go over there. Uh, it's still a link taking you to the four-week uh, starter kit and uh, food that's rated to last 25 years. Trust me, you're going to need it. There's also a link over to Hero Soap, uh, and again, uh, stay clean as we try to stay you know, safe and I don't know. 2020 has been crazy, and with things continuing the way they are, I just think you're probably going to need to be able. It would be very helpful if you were able to not have to go out any more than you can help it. You know, do I have to go to the grocery store? No, we can break out some of the uh, some of the great food we've got in our My Patriot Supply Kit here. Seems like a smart thing to do. I highly recommend you be prepared. Okay, just follow the link in the show description and go there. All right, so I, I came across this story, and I'm probably going to end up ending on this topic. Uh, On Thursday of this week, an exclusive report on leaked documents revealed that the San Diego Unified School District was holding training sessions where teachers were told of their white privilege. They were told that they were racist, and they were part of an oppressive white power structure. Not only… Where the teachers told that they must acknowledge their privilege and embrace anti-racist ideas, they were instructed to, quote, teach others to see their privilege. Now, I get very frustrated when I see this because this is racism. This is anti-white directed racism, and it is not anti-racist. It is racism, and you're not going to accomplish anything but further alienating a group of people in this country who are still the majority. Just by the way, FYI, 
that precious democracy that you're so proud of, if the democracy ruled, then those white racist folks would always get their way each and every time, just also an FYI. You're trying to indoctrinate these teachers into believing that they have to say the words, that they have to profess their guilt of racism, that they have to profess their privilege, that they have to Embrace the ideas that anti-racism is the only way you can be acceptable in our society moving forward, and that it's your responsibility as an indoctrinator – I'm sorry, I meant teacher – to show students, <coughs> to show your students that they also have privilege if they happen to be white. That's not education. That actually borders on passing the line of indoctrination. That is literally straight-up re-education camp-style information there. Now, Christopher Ruffo – or Rufo, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, he works at the City Journal. He reported what he had discovered in the leaked documents. S-C-O-O-P, that's the San Diego Unified School District, is forcing teachers to attend white privilege training in which teachers are told, quote, you are racist and, quote, you are upholding racist ideas, structures, and policies. Now, the leaked documents from the training sessions will shock you, according to what Rufo wrote in a series of posts. He said that the training begins with a land acknowledgment in which the teachers are asked to accept that they are colonizers living on stolen Native American land. Then they're told that they will experience guilt, anger, apathy, and closed-mindedness because of their white fragility. In other words, as soon as we call you out on being a white racist who's a colonizer, uh, you're going to get angry that we did that. Really? You think you approach somebody who is not racist and you call them a racist and think that uh, the natural reaction to that isn't going to be uh, – you don't know me. Yeah, they know that's going to be – that's the whole white fragility argument. The false narrative that – you know what? The fact that you get upset when you're called a racist proves that you're a racist even more. There's kind of some flawed ideology in there, isn't there? I mean when we use the word logic, we typically expect there to be a logical process, but instead they're trying to take something that sounds like it could be logical, and they insist you don't bother to apply critical thinking to the equation because as soon as you do… You're engaging in racism. Only white people engage in critical thinking because when you think about it critically, when you actually take the moment to, to work through what you're talking about, it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that these people are full of bovine excrement. They are totally, completely winged mammal guano crazy. 
It's clear. It doesn't take much time to think about this. But their plan now is to head you off at the pass. They're trying to teach these people. They're trying to convince these people. You shouldn't even have this thought. Don't even question what we're saying to you, or else that's just you being even more racist. Nobody wants to be racist, except for these people. They're loving it. Under the land acknowledgement, the training states, quote, we acknowledge that we meet on stolen land taken from indigenous peoples. I am speaking to you from Kumwe land, and I probably butchered the tribe's name, so apologies. We must acknowledge the hidden history of violence against indigenous peoples in an effort to move towards justice. You don't move towards justice by living in the past, boys and girls. You move towards justice by moving forward. If something that was wrong was done, then you can find a way to make it right. It doesn't involve reparations. It doesn't involve browbeating somebody because they happen to be the same color of skin uh, who committed an atrocity some point in the past. That's absurd on its face, and reasonable people who take two seconds to actually think about it get to that conclusion pretty quickly. But again, these aren't reasonable people, and they're trying to force everyone else who might be into not spending those two seconds to think about it because it's when you question them that you are wrong. Under the white fragility training, they literally quote straight from Robin DiAngelo's book. Yeah, in, in case you haven't heard, Robert D'Angelo wrote a book called White Fragility, where it was a bunch of this critical race theory nonsense too. Again, obviously, uh, the main premise being that all white people are automatically racist. There's nothing we can do about it. So even if we attempt to atone for our racism, uh, it's never enough. So we should just keep uh, keep ourselves in a cry closet. Uh, uh, self-flagellating ourselves until we come out and give away all of our stuff to some person of color and then go back to our cry closet, uh, which we can't anymore because it's not our cry closet because we gave it away. But that's not an excuse not to do it. Yeah, see where I'm going with that? But yeah, anyway, Robin DiAngelo's book literally took the quote, it is a more <coughs> – sorry, that one came from out of nowhere. It is a more powerful means – of white racial control and the protection of white advantage. Under norms and agreements, the training says, quote, expect to experience discomfort. Well, yeah, there's there's be prepared for us to make you mad and understand that that is you just being racist. Now, the reporter here noted, quote, after watching clips of Robin DiAngelo and uh, uh, Ibram uh, Kendi, uh, the trainer tells the teachers, you are racist. You are upholding racist ideas, structures, and policies, and that they must commit to becoming anti-racist. It's not enough to not be racist. You must be anti-racist, which, by the way, is also by definition racist. They just don't want you to know that. It's, it's just as anti-racist as Antifa is actually anti-fascist, You know, marching around utilizing fascist tactics. But they want to punch a Nazi, Tim. That makes it okay. No, it doesn't. 
They must commit to becoming anti-racist in the classroom. They must submit to the new racial orthodoxy. Or what? What exactly is it uh, the alternative, I'm wondering? Anyway, the author of the report here uh, continued saying that the teachers are told Teachers are told that they are part of an oppressive white power structure. The trainers claim that white people in America hold most of the power and that white teachers have the ability to thrive that is being preserved at every level of power. Under the white privilege and culture section, the training states, quote, since white people hold most of the political, institutional, and economic power, they receive advantages that non-white groups do not. White culture and white radicalized individuals – radicalized identity, I'm sorry, refer to the way that white people – their customs, culture, and beliefs operate as the standard by which all other groups are compared. Translation, it's not fair to expect a Hispanic person to be on time. It's not fair to expect a black person to score the same score on an ACT to get into a college. It's not fair to expect a Native American to not go do cocaine uh, when they're in public. All of these things are considered standards. All right, We can't hold up these different groups of people. To the same standard as the white culture. It's not a white culture. This is the United States of America. It is a freaking melting pot, or at least it has been. You guys are the ones out there with the strainer trying to separate everybody again. Sadly, you've been doing a, a pretty dad good job of it lately, and you got a lot of people off in their own little boxes with their own little neat labels that you supplied for them because you want to keep us separated. Rather than together, you want people to buy into the notion, the concept, the idea of cultural appropriations instead of understanding that if a white guy wears corn rolls, it's because he saw a black guy do it and thought it was cool. It's not because he's trying to culturally appropriate. It's because he thought he could pull it off too. Now, he may be right. He may be wrong. But it's a form of flattery, not an assault on your culture. There was a time, actually not that long ago, when most people understood that. <sighs> when you're trying to teach teachers that they're guilty of white fragility, that they're guilty of crimes of racism, that they're guilty before – You've done anything – when you're talking to teachers who perhaps are in school districts where there are very few white students, where they have sacrificed their professional careers to be in possibly low-performing schools where they're not likely to get raises because they want to help those communities, you're going to turn around and tell these people who have sacrificed so much of their time, their life, their energy – you're going to tell them that they were being racist, that they were protecting their white positions of power? You want to know why there's more people in positions of power in the United States of America? Because there's more white people in the United States of America, period. 
It's a matter of ratio. It's a matter of pure numbers. It's a mathematical function. Bringing it, boy, in the house. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Uh, last couple of minutes, bringing it, boy, uh, uh, showed up. I've been gone for a few weeks, so uh, I understand. Bring it probably didn't even think to look for me, but appreciate you being here in the last few minutes. It is insane to expect students to be produced from a school system where the teachers are being bombarded with this ideology. This is confrontational psychological attacks on these teachers, and they're going to force them to embrace this ideology and at least demonstrate it in the schools in order to keep their jobs. Which means whether they believe it or not, if they find some way to keep up their mental walls and protect themselves from it, to not be beaten down, to not start believing the BS that is racial, critical race theory, if they can protect themselves, they're still having to browbeat down their students with this ideology to keep their job. What is the result going to be? It's not going to be intellectually minded, free thinking, critically thinking uh, students who become adults who become capable of leading this great nation into the next great chapter of the American Republic. And I'm just getting fired up on the topic, and I am freaking out of time. So ladies and gentlemen, I have a feeling this won't be the last time we talk about this topic, especially since it seems to be picking up steam. But I want to thank Bringing It Boy, and I'm assuming that means Suzette is somewhere nearby as well. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, always, always a pleasure to have you guys in my chat room, and I appreciate it. I want to thank Crazy Cajun for hanging out with me as well. And certainly, uh, last only because he's down here at the bottom of the list, but he's definitely not least. Thank you so <laughs> great six minutes, show. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much, Chief, for being here as well. I appreciate it. And uh, as always, I will remind you that whatever else you take from the show, whatever you hear me say, don't believe a word of it. Don't take a bit of it for gospel. You go do your own research. And most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. hope you guys have a great weekend upcoming, and I hope uh, those of you in the chat room at least will join me again on Sunday when I get back on here and do this wild and crazy thing again. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody, and I am out for now. Merry Christmas, everybody. Mm -hmm.